This is Dr. Dan. While July 4th has special meaning for Americans, our Independence Day celebrates the concept of the sovereign individual, a worldview and an ideal that extends far beyond our borders. For centuries, man was ruled by autocrats and despots who owned everything and everyone, controlled all property, and had the authority to dictate the course of events in their realm. Common man eked out his sparse existence with the constant anxiety of an uncertain future. No part of his day-to-day life was secure or safe from the whims of the monarch who controlled his fate. The Declaration of Independence, by far the most important of our founding documents, ousted the ruling elite from their positions of power and destroyed the pedestals that supported their thrones. This document declares the sovereignty of the individual, outlines the natural law rights that belong to each of us by dint of our birth, summarizes the grievances against the British crown, justifies separation from the mother country, and sets out the proper place for government as the servant of the people. It is generally acknowledged that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence between June 11th and June 28th, 1776, after having been appointed by the Second Continental Congress to write a first draft for their consideration. The principle of individual liberty as an ideal was a hot topic on the lips and the minds of many patriots in the colonies, instigated by the writings and speeches of John Locke, Thomas Paine, John Adams, and others who sought freedom from the tyranny of the British Parliament and their ruling monarch. The Declaration of Independence is considered to contain five distinct parts— the introduction, the preamble, the indictment of King George, the denunciation of the British people, and the conclusion. So let's listen to those immortal words and examine their meaning and their intent. Here is the introduction. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impelled them to the separation. What the colonists proposed to do was in no way unprecedented. The history of mankind is filled with examples in which factions have been forced by circumstances, positive or negative, to break away from their original group and form a new entity with different alliances. 
Moreover, that new entity is entitled by the laws of nature and by God to seek and be granted a status equal to that of the group from which they separated. As a sign of respect for their new peers, it is necessary to outline the reasons and justification for the disruptive action, as Jefferson did in the rest of this document. Next, we have the preamble. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The self-evident truths that Jefferson refers to are the natural law rights that belong to each of us by having been created by our Creator, an acknowledgment of the existence of a supreme God, the Creator of all. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles, and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Herein lies the basic philosophy of our Constitution, a document which would be created after the war had been won. Citizens voluntarily band together and give limited power to a governmental entity that is allowed to perform specific designated actions that are most efficiently performed by a single voice, but for the benefit of all. Government does not have inherent power, only that which is voluntarily given to it by free, sovereign individuals. Since the gift of power is given by self-determination, not by compulsion, that consent may be withdrawn for cause and regifted to a different entity that will protect and secure the natural law rights of the citizens. We have the right to learn from our mistakes and correct them by improving the conditions under which we live and restructuring the rules by which we are voluntarily governed. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for their future security. The colonists recognized that their separation from Britain would be painful and cause suffering on both sides from military actions and financial consequences. In setting up the indictment of King George, they acknowledge 
that it would be easier for most citizens to maintain the status quo, which, although unacceptable to many, was the lesser of the two evils. In the final analysis, however, there comes a breaking point, a straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, beyond which further acquiescence to despotism and tyranny is intolerable. Having stated the colony's justifications for seeking independence, and having proposed a philosophy of governance that was the antithesis of the tyranny of King George, Jefferson enumerated 27 specific grievances, the indictment of the king. The British monarch had ruled in a way that we know is standard operating procedure for tyrants, namely controlling all aspects of his subjects' lives and vigorously punishing them for real or imagined disobedience. Here are some of the grievances. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. The colonists requested certain laws be enacted to help with the governmental organization of the colonies, the acceptance of immigrants, mostly from Germany, needed to expand westward, and the integration of Indian nations into the economy. Although British governors agreed to many of these reforms, the king refused to allow these laws to be passed until he approved them. Then he simply ignored the legislation and took no action. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the rights of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. The king announced that he planned to disband the representative legislature in Massachusetts and replace it with a governing council appointed by and run by the king himself, as he had already done in Quebec. Protests by the citizens of Massachusetts were ignored. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. To punish the citizens of Massachusetts for the Boston Tea Party, the king moved the seat of the colony's legislature from Boston where all the records were kept, to Salem. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. The king dissolved elected legislatures of several colonies, among them Massachusetts, Virginia, and North Carolina, for passing laws that contradicted the edicts and taxes imposed by the king. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. The king removed judiciary powers from the colonies 
and began paying judges' salaries himself, creating a judiciary dependent on King George for their livelihood. Colonists were often denied a jury trial, and decisions were based on the desires of the king rather than the rule of law. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. This was the beginning of government bureaucracy. The king placed multiple tax collectors and customs agents in all the ports to enforce the collection of what the colonists considered oppressive taxation on the necessities of life. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. Not only did King George keep a standing army in the colonies without consent of the legislatures, he ordered that the colonists be subject to the authority of the British generals. He also placed 10,000 British soldiers in the American seaports of Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Charleston, and others. For imposing taxes on us without our consent. This is perhaps the most famous and most often remembered grievance that is cited of all. That is, taxation without representation. For depriving us, in many cases, of the benefit of trial by jury. The British established a system of admiralty courts with judges paid by the king. Instead of having a jury trial, colonists were tried by a single judge whose allegiance was bound to King George. Trial by jury was a right of British citizens. The colonists felt that they were being treated not the same as British citizens. In other words, their rights were fewer and they were being treated as a lower class. The list of grievances outline a course of action by the king no different than that taken by countless tyrants before and after. It is all about control. Individual freedom is inversely proportional to the size and power of the government. In this list of grievances, it is not difficult to see the parallels with our current times, dealing with our contemporary version of a monarchy ruled by arrogant elitists like King George, whose desire is to eliminate the natural law rights of the sovereign individual in order to control the entire world. The conclusion of the Declaration is definitive and clear. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be 
totally dissolve, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And finally, fully understanding the personal risk, the signers of the Declaration of Independence take a mutual pledge to bind themselves to each other and to the colonists they represent. And for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Without a pledge, any declaration has no meaning or teeth. The signers knew that war with Great Britain was now inevitable, and they were themselves in great danger. Nevertheless, relying on the protection of divine providence, they signed what was to become one of our most cherished and meaningful founding documents, the Declaration of Independence. As it was with our founders, it is gut-check time for each of us. The battle lines have been drawn, and a deep chasm of disagreement divides our nation. On one side, we stand, guardians of the Constitution, with the firm knowledge that the rule of law prescribed by the framers of that document is the only real hope to remain free, sovereign citizens of a great nation. On the other side of the canyon stands our enemy. They are the arrogant elitists of the world, the oligarchs who believe that only they have the wisdom to rule planet Earth according to their tyrannical socialist worldview. They know what is best for all of us, and are supported by lemmings of their own creation, the useful idiots of our era from whom the ability to think and reason logically have been erased by years of brainwashing in government schools and who have been taught that everything they desire will be free in the promised utopia. How sad that it has come to this. Recognize that this is but another one of those cycles of history in which mankind's weaknesses cannot be overcome, even when the adverse results are proven and known to be inevitable. As we stand at the ready, as comrades in arms awaiting another shot turn round the world, each of us must ask himself the one question that defines courage and resolve on the brink of historical decision. What are you willing to sacrifice for freedom? This is Dr. Dan.